stand for the reading of God's Word. We are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're focusing on the Lord's Prayer, which is found in the Gospel of Luke, but also here in Matthew chapter 6. This morning, I'm going to be preaching on the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is, Your will be done. I'm going to begin, though, at the beginning of that prayer and read it through the end. That's Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Jesus was teaching on the mountainside. His disciples had gathered, and he spoke these words. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The Lord's Prayer reminds us that prayer as much as can be written, as many prayer movements that can be started, at its essence, prayer has always been the same. It's the people of God talking to God, praising him, lamenting, crying out, petitioning, confessing. Prayer is something, because of who we are in Christ, all of us can do, and something we can all continue to grow in, grow in our understanding, grow in our practice. Prayer is powerful. And so is bad theology. Not knowing what to pray or how to pray or adding to the teachings of Scripture about prayer can be really dangerous. And prayer that's centered on this third petition, thy will be done, I think is one of the most dangerous. And the reason is because so many people misunderstand it. I've been told, for example, that if you are praying for someone to be healed, which we should, we always should, because God has the power to do it, the ability to do it. And if you close with, thy will be done, people have said, it's kind of a cop-out. You're lacking faith. That is heresy. There's no other way to say it. Praying thy will be done is the greatest prayer of faith. It's the prayer that our Lord prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane three times, recorded in Matthew. It's not a weak prayer. It is the most faithful, powerful prayer. This past week, I know many of you are aware that there was a very serious car accident involving five seniors from Highland Park High School. One girl, Grace, I prayed for her, continues to cling to life. She's fighting, and we're praying. We're praying that she'd be healed, and we should. Tuesday night at Highland Park Stadium, about 1,200 people gathered, a movement that started early that morning that landed our youth director, Will Washington, who went to that school, started a ministry to minister to his own peers in that school. He's had a huge impact in that school to simply lead this prayer time. 1,200 people gathered to pray for grace, and they should. 
of what are we praying and what are we to think about prayer. As Will spoke, he talked about honesty. That as Christians, we look at the word of God, we can be honest. We can say, this hurts. I don't understand. Why did this happen? I don't like this. What's God going to do? We can. Scripture gives us permission. Be honest. He also talked about the hope that it gives us, the gospel gives us. Even as we ask questions and wonder, we never lack hope. But there, as has been present in many other times, bad theology can surface around the area of prayer, and bad theology is always dangerous. A situation like this, some could believe that if you pray with more zeal, if you just name it and claim it, she'll be healed. Those things find their way into movements like this. And well-meaning people, I believe, that are true believers, believe something, and it's not true. We're not called to name and claim things except things that Christ himself, the Word of God himself, has said are specific promises. So you can pray, God, I know you're good. You can pray, God, I know you're leading me. You can pray, I know you have the power to heal. You can pray, I know you have given me everything I need. I have your presence. You can pray so many things and hold God to so many things that he has promised. But he never promised this side of heaven that we wouldn't have pain. He never promised that everybody that gets a disease or is in a terrible wreck will be healed or delivered. He promises to give us himself. And the reason this is important is because it centers back on this prayer that Jesus prayed, thy will be done. It's a powerful, powerful prayer of faith. We should pray earnestly. That's actually a great biblical word. Jesus prayed earnestly. It tells us in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke's account, he prayed more earnestly. But earnest prayer doesn't necessarily mean a certain volume or a certain emotion or a certain intensity of words. It means that you're at the end of yourself and you're asking God to do what only he can do. And only he can heal. Only he can deliver. Only he can open eyes. And he can. But sometimes the attention is drawn to self. And if I just had enough zeal, if I just had enough faith, or if you just had enough zeal, if you just had enough faith, they would be healed. And that's not true. And it's really dangerous. It's bad theology. I had a very close friend whose younger daughter, I'm sorry, younger sister, was in a very serious car crash, hit by a train. And she was in a situation where she was clinging to life. And he was a mature believer, just out of college. But he got roped into believing that if he just had enough faith, if he just had enough people around him who had enough faith, if they just prayed 24 hours a day, nonstop, minute by minute, she would be healed. And she was healed in heaven, but not this side. And it wrecked his life. Bad theology is dangerous. Bad theology would also be don't pray for healing. Bad theology would 
but you just keep it intellectual and don't pray earnestly. Bad theology would be just say it once and move on. It's not what we're taught. What we're taught in this simple prayer is powerful. It's not meant to be a prayer that we just recite and move on with our day. Jesus didn't do that. He was giving us a framework for prayer that is really powerful because it's a framework for prayer that's not centered just on the petitions that we make, but also in a life that we're called to live. And you see it so clearly in this third petition. The third petition, I'm going to talk about it today and next Sunday, is simply your will be done. But here's what's complicated. In the Greek, there are at least two words that are frequently used for the word will. And even in, with those two words, there are so many nuances that make it really important to understand what's being said as it's translated into our language. So I want to help us understand that there are two primary things at play with this word will. The first part of God's will that is at play is God's sovereign decrees. God's sovereign decrees are things that he declares that cannot be stopped. For example, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. That is going to happen. Between now and then, there will be seasons so full of darkness and decay that you might wonder if that's actually going to happen. God's sovereign decrees cannot be thwarted. One of God's sovereign decrees would be, let there be light. And there was light. That's God's sovereign decrees. Another example in the New Testament would be Jesus mourning with Mary and Martha over the death of Lazarus. Jesus goes to that tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. That could not be thwarted. It was God's decree. It was his decreed will. And Lazarus was dead. He wasn't just asleep. He didn't have a choice. In God's sovereign will, he rose from the dead and he walked out and people saw him. God has the power to do that. But Jesus didn't call every dead person out of the tomb when he walked upon this earth. He didn't heal every disease. That's God's will defined by his decrees. It cannot be thwarted. There's another aspect to the word will, and that has to do with what God has declared. It's what God has shared with us from his word and his commands and his precepts. It's what God wills for us in his desire for us. These, this type of, or this part of God's will can and is often thwarted. So it's God's will that we have no other gods before him. It's God's will that we honor our fathers and our mothers. It's God's will that we don't conform to the pattern of the world, 
but that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But we, as fallen people, thwart it all the time. It's God's will that we wouldn't gossip about one another, but you do. It's God's will that we wouldn't talk poorly about another, but you do. It's God's will that we wouldn't look at things we shouldn't look at, but you do. It's God's will that we wouldn't be greedy, but you are. We thwart God's will in those ways. So when Jesus says, pray, thy will be done, your will be done, what is he talking about? Well, it's the same word. And that word means both of these dynamics, and it's important for us to understand what he means here. And that's why the prayer, thy will be done, focusing on his decrees, surrendering and accepting them, resting in them is so important, as well as understanding what he wants for us in terms of his desires and his declared will. Kevin DeYoung, wonderful pastor, bright theologian, great author. He's written many, many books. We will have him here in this pulpit before long, I promise. He writes this. He gives us a frame. He says, when we pray thy will be done, what we're really after is resting, resting, surrendering, submitting, resting in God's will of decree. In other words, we are seeking to trust him and his sovereignty. The second part is that we are to obey God's will of desire. We are to obey his will declared, that which he's commanded. So we rest in his sovereign decrees, and we obey, we seek to obey his will declared. Jesus Christ gives us this prayer and then later in the gospel and in all the gospels shows us how he prays it. When we pray, especially for things that are hard, like praying for grace, praying for women in our church who've just been diagnosed with cancer, praying for men in our church with the same diagnosis, praying for children who are rebellious at a young age, or who are rebellious now at an older age, praying for deliverance from depression, anxiety, lust. When we pray, we know that we're confronted with an enemy that wants us to live in doubt. And the more miraculous it seems something must be, the easier it is for doubt to creep in. For you, you'd even have shame of doubt. That's why I think some well-meaning meaning believers think you shouldn't pray that will be done. But they're wrong. They're so wrong because of Jesus. It's the prayer he prayed when he was facing the worst thing a human being has ever faced, far greater than anything you and I have ever experienced he did not want to drink the cup of your sin and mine, and the cup of the wrath of his father. He did not want to become sin, but he also did not want to fail doing what the father called him to do, 
I'll get there in a minute. But when we pray, we pray in faith. And everybody that is in here can pray in faith. We can pray bold prayers of faith, and we should. We should pray earnestly as Jesus did. But when we pray, let's think about that which confronts us, that which brings doubts into our life. One of the first doubts could be in God's ability. I don't think this is where most of us struggle. If we believe what the Bible says, then we know God has the ability to do anything that he wants. He spoke, let there be light, and there was light. He sets the sun on its course every day. Lightning goes out from him and reports back to him, this is where I've been. God called Lazarus from the tomb. He walked on water. He healed lepers. God has the ability to do that which is beyond our comprehension. He does. That's, for most of us, not the area of doubt. The area of doubt comes in the area of goodness. Doubting is goodness. When we are struck, stuck, trying to determine, not that I know God has the ability, but is he willing? Is he willing to heal grace? Is he willing to hear your spouse who has cancer? Is he willing to lift dark depression? Is he willing? And friends, when it comes to that question, unless he's made a specific promise in his word that he is, we just don't know. And what happens is we get stuck with our eyes fixed on his willingness. And we're fixing our eyes on something that we won't know the answer to until he wants to make it known. And he knows that. And he continues to wait. Sometimes he doesn't reveal his will to after something has happened. But that... His willingness is not where we should have our eyes fixed. Our eyes should be fixed on his ability and on his attributes and on his will, not willingness, on his will and whatever it might be. And when we focus upon his ability and you see his power, his greatness, and when we focus upon his attributes and see that he's good, we can begin to be anchored in a way that will enable us to be that restful, receiving people, trusting that whatever his will is, he is still good. It doesn't mean disease is good. It doesn't mean car wrecks are good. It doesn't mean adultery is good. It doesn't mean evil is good, but it does mean always that God is good and he still and always will be in control. 
But that does not mean that there is a promise that says he will deliver us from a bitter providence, that he will deliver us from pain this side from heaven. What it does mean is that he will give us himself. The greatest example of this prayer of faith, this great prayer of faith is Jesus. Look at Matthew. Go to Matthew 26. Here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew's recording this portion of the Sermon on the Mount for us, records this account. Lean into this as you hear me read it. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 36. Then Jesus went with him to, the, to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He then said to them, I want you to hear these words and never forget, he is as human as you are. He's 100% man and 100% God. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Do you hear that? Your Savior? My soul is sorrowful to the point of death. I need you men. Pray for me. Going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The same word as in the Lord's Prayer. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Now, I want you to hear Luke. And this is where I'm going to wrap this up until next week. Just listen carefully. Just listen. In Luke 22, Luke the physician at verse 39 says this. And he came out, speaking of Jesus, as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and Jesus knelt down and prayed, saying the same thing he prayed three times in Matthew. It's only recorded that he prayed here once. But he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. But watch what happens next. Luke's a physician. The angel has come to strengthen him. He's asked the father if he's willing to take the cup. But the father is not. And the reason the father is not is because of his decreed will. 
told to us in the book of Isaiah 53, chap- chapter 53, verse 10. It was the will of the Father to crush him because of us and because of his glory. Jesus has an angel who is strengthening him. And then Luke the physician says, and being in agony, not relieved from agony, the angel didn't bring less agony. He was there to strengthen him, even as the agony grew. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. So it's not wrong to pray more earnestly. It's just wrong to think that the earnestness of your prayer is what causes God to heal or not heal. Because Jesus prayed earnestly, and the Father's decree was for him to die. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. There's a lot happening in this prayer, thy will be done. Jonathan Edwards believes that in Luke's account, when Jesus prays, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, the fear that he had, and his fear wasn't a sin, the fear that he had in drinking what he he knew the cup would mean is it was taking him to a place that was overwhelming his soul even to the point of death. Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian, speaks of what then happened in the heart and mind of Christ. He says the increase of his agony was due to a full realization of the will of God for him in his passion. He had come to the garden with the fear that he would have to drink the cup. Once he knew that it was indeed God's will that he drink it, he had a new fear, a fear that he would not be able to do it, that he could not obey his father's declared will that he would fall short of perfect obedience. But he didn't. He drank it, every drop. What you deserved and what I deserved, he drank it. The Father cares. He demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, his son. Jesus prayed, thy will be done. And it was. He prayed, thy will be done. When we pray that prayer, it is the greatest prayer of faith. Because when we pray that prayer, we're resting in the sovereignty of God's decrees. And we're asking him to help us obey 
his desires, his declared will, by his grace, for his glory, and for our good, no matter what his answer is. Father in heaven, as we come to the end of our service and we sing a very familiar hymn that proclaims a settled disposition, a place of rest, a peace that only you could bring, I pray that this song would not be the conclusion of a service but the application of what we have heard pressed so deeply into our hearts and minds that we would leave feeling the reality of what it means to trust you fully, knowing that you are able and just trusting your will. Feed us even in this song for your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.